You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch at thepreppypodcast.com and follow at The Preppy Podcast on social media. Join me today as I talk with Megan B. Murphy, the author of Your Fully Charged Life and editor-in-chief of Women's Day Magazine. I've pitched Megan for years, but was excited to learn more about her in today's interview, especially the journey to where she is today and the inspiration behind her book. I hope you enjoy. All right. Why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? Sure. My name is Megan B. Murphy. Um, I live in Westfield, New Jersey, a.k.a. Bestfield, as I like to call it. Um, I am the editor-in-chief of Woman's Day magazine. I am the author of the new book, Your Fully Charged Life. I'm the co-host of Off the Gram podcast on Dr. Oz's OzTube network. And most importantly, I am a mama times three, as seen on TV. You might have seen me on Today Show or live with Kelly and Ryan, where I am an expert guest. Awesome. You do it all, it seems like. Uh, So now growing up, were you always, you know, this much of a doer? Were you always creative? Were you always writing? Like, what was it like growing up for you then? I've always been creative and I've always been a doer. Um, I don't sit still easily because my brain is very busy. Mm-hmm. My husband always likes to say there's a hamster on a wheel and he's just running laps. Um, I have a ton of creative energy and I've always been a writer and a creator. I used to make these like homemade cards when I was little called mm-hmm. mega cards. Um, and I made them for all occasions um, with like funny, punny messages and artwork <laughs> I would always illustrate my book reports. So like if I had to do a book report, I I just was going through old papers at my mom's house and I had done a book report on The Hobbit. And for some reason, I also illustrated eight scenes from The Hobbit. So I always really just enjoyed creative work really deeply. Yep. And I'm definitely like that too, with like always doing, you know, I think that's something just in some people where they constantly have to be doing something and doing another project and can't turn their brain off. So I understand that completely. You know what? It's like therapeutic for me. It's sort of meditative. Like I love organizing and cleaning because it just feels, it just feels like almost like therapy for some reason. Mm -hmm. So now when it came time for college, uh, where and what did you end up studying? Was it something in journalism or did that come later in life and it was something completely different? You know, so I had sort of an interesting journey. Um, I had some tumultuous teen years, which I talk about in my book. Um, I suffered from an eating disorder and my best friend and I were both anorexics and tragically she died oh um, and I was hospitalized and it, and it was like a, a really, a really tough, you know, it was, it was a lot for yeah. a 16 um, And I wrote an essay about my experience and overcoming adversity and, and sort of moving through that tragedy. And it, and it actually earned me um, a $10,000 scholarship and I became a Horatio Alger National Scholar. And because of that, when I was 
18 or 19 years old, I was featured on an NBC special and Bob Costas and Don Johnson were the hosts and Trisha Yearwood performed. And it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. I got a lot of national attention. And from that, um, YM Magazine at the time called me and said, we'd love to tell your story. And I said, yeah, no problem, but I'm going to write it, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, I'm going to write the story. And so I did. And I also then became an intern very quickly. And that internship turned into um, a contributing editor job by the time I was 19. Oh, my gosh. It also translated into, um, I also started working for the Star-Ledger, which was our local newspaper. And so I was a bit of like a cub reporter um, working for the Star Ledger. So my, my, my message there is I always say, when you make your mess, your message, and you're vulnerable and you share your pain, some pretty amazing things can happen. I mean, my entire career was really born from this tragic experience as a 16 year old of, of, losing my best friend, having a debilitating eating disorder, being hospitalized, and and then sharing that story and connecting with others and sharing that message. Wow. It's like you took something so painful and bad and turned it into something good. Like you you flipped it around, right? Absolutely. And and like this is all hindsight, right? Now I'm 46. So this is 30 years ago. Like when I was in it, when I was in the weeds of of, of that of that those tough times, I didn't really know that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it wound up being medicine. It was so cathartic. I mean, talking about it, sharing it, connecting with others. Mm-hmm. And that's what I sort of learned in my life. I mean, when my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he was di- like, you know, he was dying and he was gone in five months. And I began to share that pain and that experience with um, a mission I called Operation Good Grief where I was just looking for one thing every day that didn't stink mm-hmm. and sharing it on social media with the hashtag operation, good grief. And it was my way of pulling through that tragedy. And I wound up creating this community of people. We became grief mentors for each other and really helped our, helped each other, you know, climb through really dark times. And it was also sort of the catalyst for me knowing I had to write my book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to leave this legacy of positive energy. Wow. So, you know, I've always found that there's there there are certainly gifts in adversity, mm-hmm. um, but it can be very difficult to unwrap them. And I think it takes bravery and courage to unwrap them. Um, but I'm just always so grateful and so pleasantly surprised that when I am vulnerable, oh, there's my dog barging in. Thank you, Dempsey. <laughs> um, that you know, that's 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 how I find my way through is by sharing and connecting with others. Definitely, and it almost sounds like going back to you saying that you're a doer and you're constantly thinking. Like you might have been doing these things and not realizing what you were doing in the moment, but just because you're a doer, you you just kept moving forward and doing more things to keep busy. To yeah, keep and I think you know, I do think there's sort of like this negative connotation about being a doer, right? Yeah. Like I'm a mindful doer. Not a busy do, body. <laughs> yeah, like I do to create momentum mm-hmm. when I feel stuck mm-hmm. because I understand that if I feel paralyzed with sadness, with fear, with, with discontent, that I have to create an action step. I need to create momentum to move through and forward. And so I do to get unstuck. Yep. That makes total sense. 
So now you were contributing to your local um, newspaper and to YM Magazine. Then did you stay in that journalism career from there? Um, Or what was your next move then? So I was also studying acting at Mason Gross School of the Arts and Records. I was studying English and acting, and I was simultaneously getting my college degree while I was working at the Star-Ledger wow. and while I was working at YM Magazine. Um, Rutgers is in New Jersey, but the acting program, um, William Esper, who ran the program, also had a studio in New York. So I was able to take um, some of my credits and classes in the city while doing my um, job at YM and commuting back and forth from New Brunswick. And then simultaneously, I sort of stumbled into an acting career. So I started doing commercials. I did an off-Broadway play. Um, and then I wound up hosting on MTV. Oh, my gosh. So I, through the process, I wound up with an agent. And then I was auditioning. And I became a lifestyle correspondent on air um, on MTV. So I worked with Carson Daly. And I did the Beach House in New Jersey and the Beach House in the Bahamas. And so, you know, I had a little TV career kind of blooming while I was also working for YM. And then that actually turned into, um, you know, my boss at YM was tapped by Time Inc. to launch a teen magazine. And so she brought me over to Time Inc. to launch this teen magazine. Initially, we were calling it things like cool, K-E-W-L, but eventually that morphed into what would become Teen People magazine. So I was one of the founding editors of Teen People magazine. So I was, you know, also writing and working for them at that point, working on MTV and finishing college. So it was it was a busy time. I always like to say I never went to a frat party, but I went to the Grammys, you know? Oh, my gosh. And you went to the MTV Beach House, right? Oh, yeah. I worked at the Beach House in New Jersey, and then I got to work. This was really – which was like – I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, the Beach House is in New Jersey where I grew up, like a block from my grandmother's. That wasn't as exciting as the following year when it was in the Bahamas, and I got to travel to the Bahamas to host. So that was exciting because I was like – Going to the Bahamas. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea any of the TV stuff that you did. I know, obviously, today you contribute to a lot, but I had no idea that you had been on TV. Well, that's sort of the – that's the so it's the great irony because I can remember when I was studying acting at um, Mason Gross and my dad was like, okay, but, you know, what's your backup, right? You're not going to be an actress, so what's your backup? And, you know – I was like, no, this, there is no backup. Like, I'm going to be an actress. And, the, and the, the great irony of my career is that training and, and that expertise in being in front of an audience, being on stage, being on camera has really been a feather in my cap career-wise. Yeah. You know, not every editor-in-chief can, can be on the Today Show, produce a segment, prop a segment, style a segment. You know, I can do it all because, you know, I was trained to do that. So... You know, I've been very grateful for that background. Not, you know, I, I at one point I was auditioning for soaps and, you know, potentially going to be a soap actress. Not exactly, but, you know, I'm very comfortable on Live with Kelly and Ryan and the Today Show and Dr. Oz and Tamron Hall and all the shows because, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Yep. I was just going to say, I mean, that's genius. I think anyone listening to this starting out their career and kind of wanting to get into writing or be an editor someday. I think that's a great advice. Like take some acting classes. So you have that tool in, under your belt, well, you know? 
And I would say every human being should take an acting class because it makes you comfortable in your skin. Mm -hmm. It gives you the tools to be present in a moment and react with honesty and truth and really hear somebody and really listen. I mean, those skills are so valuable. I mean, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to put myself out there in front of people, you know, because for four years I did it on a stage. Yep. No, I think that's great advice. We had to take um, an acting class in middle school, which, you know, in middle school, you're ashamed at everything you do and everything's embarrassing. Uh, But then in college, I had to take public speaking, which, you know, isn't acting. But I think that was so helpful. Yeah, Yeah. because they I remember one of the assignments was you had to speak. They gave you a card like right before you went up in front of the class and it was on a random topic. I think mine was Jersey Shore, actually, which I didn't watch the show at the time. And you had to talk about it for 10 minutes straight to everyone and you couldn't prepare for it. You just had to talk. So I think that's great advice. I think anyone listening, like taking an acting class, taking a public speaking class, it gives you more skills than you'd really Realize, right? I think that's the key is like put as many tools as you can in your toolkit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So now when did you get to Women's Day? Like what was your journey there? You were one of the mm-hmm. founding editors at uh, Teen People Magazine. And so then how did, what, what was the journey then to Women's Day from there? So I went from Teen People to, I did a moment at, um, there was a, a a store and a, and a teen brand called Delia's. Yeah. And I went to Delia's and I launched a website for them. I was their style director and I launched a website called iTurf and it was just like a teen community um, attached to Delia's and the Delia's brand. Um, I built that out and then I went to um, Victoria's Secret and I was on the creative team at Victoria's Secret for a couple of years. I worked on Pink. Um, we were, we were launching the creative buying pink and coming up with the concepting of the pink line. Mm-hmm. I wrote the catalogs and did all the marketing materials and ad materials for Victoria's Secret for a couple of years. Wow. And then I went back into magazines. I went to Lifetime magazine for like from Lifetime television. We launched a magazine and I did that for about eight months before hopping to Cosmo. And then I spent four years at Cosmo as a senior editor and, um, I did sex relationships, health, you name it as a senior editor there. Um, And then from from there, I went to Self Magazine. And for nine years, I was the deputy editor and fitness director of Self Magazine. And so I've also been a certified trainer for 17 years. Um, I directed all the the workout videos. I did videos with like Jillian Michaels and, you know, the Tone It Up girls. And so I was very much in the fitness world for a very long time. Um, And still like, you know, movement is medicine to me. And I I ran the self-challenge, and so I got to coach hundreds of thousands of women how to live their best lives, mind, body, and soul, which was, again, sort of a precursor to my book, Your Fully Charged Life, mm-hmm. which is really coaching people to be the best version of themselves. So I did that for nine years, and then I was tapped to go to Good Housekeeping, and I was the executive editor at Good Housekeeping for six years. Um, and there, you know, I was sort of a hack master, home hack master. I had a whole you know, column and a little show on NBC called Better, which was Better Ways to Do Things. Okay. And so I'm kind of known for my hacks, my cleaning hacks, organizing hacks, DIY hacks, um, family hacks, etc. So I did that for six years. And then in March, right before the pandemic lockdown, Hearst asked me to um, re-energize Woman's Day, which was, you know, it was, I never even moved out of my good housekeeping office. I took the job 
and then went into lockdown. Oh my so gosh. I was like, oh, can someone send me a monitor? Can someone like send my computer home? You know, cause it was like, I'll never forget. It was like a Thursday or a Friday and it was my son's birthday. So I had taken the Friday off. Um, and then the world shut down mm-hmm. and I hadn't even, well, I mean, I hadn't, I didn't even take a pencil off of my desk yeah. at housekeeping. Um, and I haven't been back since. So I've made the magazine from home, you know, hired my deputy editor, you know, met my team virtually. I always joke that we only know each other from the belly button up because <laughs> everything is Zoom and Slack. But, you know, we really managed to reimagine and re-energize a magazine that, you know, it's been, it's been around 100 years and it's, mm-hmm. you know, top selling magazine, number one selling magazine on newsstand for years and years and years. Um, and so it's been, it's been a fun challenge. And I think kind of cool because, you know, I'm like, okay, I, what's the worst I can do? I'll blame it on a pandemic yeah. if nobody likes it, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow, that is quite the journey. So something that is always wild to me is with um, even with radio, with TV, with um, working at magazines, you kind of go where the jobs are and where you're needed, not necessarily – you know, it sounds like you jumped around in terms of one time you're writing about sex, one time you're writing about hacks, one time you're writing more about style. Like, is that correct then in that mm-hmm. sense? Well, so for me, um, I can only do things I care about. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to like look back and dissect my career, the job I was doing was was absolutely in line with the exact moment in my life. Got it. So when I was at YM and I was doing like a, bo- a body image column and dating advice, you know, like I was a teenager. Yeah. And then when I moved to teen people and I was entertainment reporter and I was like, I, like I was a teenager who cared about music and boy bands and, you know, it made total sense. When I was at Cosmo, I was single. I was in my 20s and and single and like writing about dating and love and sex and boys was exactly where I was in my real life. Yeah. And then I look at Self Magazine. Those were my self-formative years. It's exactly when I wound up getting engaged, getting married, having my three kids. Like that nine-year period was was my self-actualization. It's where I came into myself as a Mm grown-up. It was like no accident that the second I moved to good housekeeping was really precisely the moment that I moved to the suburbs and got a swing set and a picket fence and was consumed with all things home. Yeah. Um, and then woman's day, I mean, I reimagined it as woman's yay. I like to say, Uh. you know, destination celebration, no holiday left behind from taco Tuesday to Christmas because my whole concept with woman's day was that, you know what, we are going to punctuate, these tough times with moments of joy. We're going to help people put fun back on the calendar and and feel relief and give them permission to be happy even though times are tough. Yep. So what advice would you have for someone wanting to get into this field? Someone listening who's, you know, just starting out their career, what's your number one advice would you say? I mean, I think there's just so many opportunities to create content and create content you care about and share it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people who come to me like, I want my own column. I'm like, well, that's nice. You want your own column? Like, are you crazy? Um, What are you actually doing? You know, you need to have you need to have a very active social media. You need to be storytelling on your Instagram, on your Facebook 
on Pinterest. You need to have an active TikTok. How do you storytell? You know, that's very important. I can easily see what you care about, what kind of content you're creating by virtue of these platforms. And if you're not doing any of that, you don't, there's no calling card, right? That's your, that's your resume now. Yeah. Um, and you can be doing local things. You can be doing newsletters. You can be volunteering. I think, you know, having a byline in a magazine is great and, and potentially the holy grail, but what are you doing before that? You know, when people come to me and they just want the byline, the article, it's like, no, 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 show me, show me what you're doing to get to that place. Mm-hmm. I love that advice. And I always, whenever I speak at universities or just talking with interns, I always say that. And I kind of did the same thing when I was in college. Um, I have a communications PR background, but also fashion merchandising. So I was writing for my school newspaper, um, the fashion sections, and I actually contributed to my local town uh, newspaper here. And I had a blog, like this was years ago when blogs were just coming out. Um, And exactly the same point, like that's your resume. And I actually even had got my first job through Twitter when even Twitter was, you know, somewhat new back then too. Um, So I always say the same thing, like, you need to create your virtual resume and use social media to your advantage, like these tools that people didn't have before. And But that's a great tool now. That's how people search for others and um, well, discover and people. It's so easy to do your homework. Like when I, you know, I'm interviewing candidates. Listen, if you haven't looked at my Instagram and you haven't even skimmed my book and you don't know anything about me, shame on you. Yeah. Like you can't call yourself a journalist or a content creator when you haven't done any research. Yep. Um, you know, it's not like the old days. Like, you know, when I was I'm 46 years old, like when I was 19 starting out in the business, like there was no Google, mm-hmm. right? Like you actually had to do some homework. It is so easy to even, you can figure out what I had for breakfast, right? <laughs> so many ways to spark conversation, to, to to sort of have an inside track on the person you're dealing with. And I think that's so important. Like understand who you're speaking with, understand the audience of, you know, the magazine you want to write for the website you're interested in, like do some homework. Definitely. And on the flip side to that, then when people are pitching you, I'd say it's probably the same, like do the homework to know what you're writing about, what your magazine features. Um, Would you say that's the same advice you'd give for people wanting to pitch as well? Yeah. And I would say this too. I think one or two carefully crafted, thoughtful pitches versus these mass pitches, these clearly mass mailing kind of pitches Mm -hmm. are going to be way more effective. When I get a thoughtful pitch that spells my name correctly, says the name of the magazine correctly, references something about me personally, references something about content that we've shared through the Women's Day platform, I am a thousand times more likely to engage. Yep. The second you spell my name wrong, the second you get the name of the magazine wrong, and the second I am incredibly clear that this is just a mass mailing that has had no thought in regard to me and my my audience, I'm totally tuned out. Yeah. Definitely. That, that's great advice. Um, so now let's talk a little bit more about your book and these other fun projects that you're working on. How did, how did your book come about? Like, what was the process like? How long were you writing it for? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So 
uh, you know, I was, I, I don't always get to like get too morbid, but as my father was, was dying from pancreatic cancer, I had a, a kind of a, a really big moment where I was sitting with him in chemotherapy and I asked him point blank, what do you want your legacy to be? And he was super, super clear that he wanted to be remembered for three certain things. Um, and it was in asking him that question, I realized that I had this the chance to ask myself that same question. Um, and so I did. And I realized that I really wanted to leave a legacy of positive energy. I had a whole toolkit, science-backed toolkit of tips and tricks and strategies that helped me transform from an angsty, sullen, you know, teen nickname grumpy to somebody who's who's really self-aware and handles things with grit and grace mm -hmm. um, in a very fully charged way. And so I became determined upon his death to write this book. And so I first set out to find an agent, a literary agent, and I met with a number of different agents. And that's a little bit like dating, right? You really mm -hmm. want to feel like you're in good hands, you're understood and supported. And I really connected with my agent, Laura Nolan at Avitas, and I just really felt that she understood me. And so I signed with her and then I worked a year on a proposal for the book. And that was really a very um, collaborative back and forth process. And I don't know if all agents are like that. Okay. She certainly was. We really went back and forth for a year um, on this ultimately 70 page document that was, you know, a complete outline of the book, chapter by chapter, um, you know, a sample intro, a marketing plan, who I was going to reach, what platforms I'd be able to share and amplify the message. And it was a very thorough document. Um, and then she took that to market over a two week period. So what happens is, you know, when you have a great agent, it's pretty amazing because she goes out to the big publishers and, you know, we were able to get a number of meetings and this was pre pandemic. So they were face to face meetings mm -hmm. where I would pitch the book. Um, and luckily I'm pretty good in a pitch meeting because I, I have a media background. Yeah. <laughs> so we did these pitch meetings and then, you know, the, that pitch period closes and the book went to auction. And so all of the different publishers had the ability to bid on the book and, you know, that closed on a Tuesday at 11 o'clock. And then I just waited for her to call me with the offers. And we were really lucky to get several offers. And Penguin Random House was really my dream mm -hmm. publisher. And, and that was the offer we, we accepted. And okay. once I signed with Penguin Random House, then you get like, I had a year to write the book. Okay. So um, I spent a year writing the book. And frankly, like, it was so thoughtfully outlined and so clear exactly what the book was that the writing was in some ways not as painful as the outline because oh. it was almost more like, okay, now fill in the blanks. Yep. Um, and so I actually hired a collaborator to help with the research. Cause if you were to you're look at my book, there, there is a pretty thick amount of citations. There's a ton of research in my book. Um, it was very important to me that everything was science-backed. It's not like what Megan Murphy thinks. It's like what Megan Murphy lived, believes, and knows to be true, fun filtered through life experience, and absolutely supported and backed and made sense of by science. Okay. Um, and then so the book was due. This was the craziest thing. 
the book was due April. So pandemic hits, lockdown March. My take the new job as the editor-in-chief of Women's Day, book due in April. Oh my gosh. With so, now your kids home and everything too. <laughs> um, three kids were home. I had a kindergartner, a second grader, and a fourth grader. And I'm like trying to teach, you know, math without carrying the one, trying to make a paper sloth for my kindergartner, <laughs> finish a book and re- reimagine a magazine. Oh. It was very surreal. Um, you know, I cried in the shower a lot, frankly. It was just a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just a lot. But I turned the book in in mid-April, a week late. It was a week late, but I got it in in April. And um, and then, you know, you go through your process of, you know, your editor reads it and is sitting with it. And, you know, luckily it was in really good shape. And I'm like, sitting my agent, I'm like, is that normal? And she's like, no, but you're, you know, you're an editor. Exactly. <laughs> And I was like, okay. Um, and we moved a couple of things around. I then had to cut 20,000 words, which was hard. Um, but then we finished and the book came out February, 2021. And man, that was surreal. It, I had to launch it during a pandemic. So I was able, I, I did launch it on the Today Show virtually. I've been doing the Today Show from my home. I did get to go in studio to live with Carrie and Kelly and Ryan. And I got to launch it with Harry Connick Jr. and Ryan. And did the doctors and Dr. Oz and, and got to do a lot of TV stuff, but no book signings, no bookstores, like none of that, which was disappointing. You know, as an author, yeah. I was dreaming of like sitting in Barnes and Noble with a line of people to sign books. So I didn't get to do any of that, um, which is probably a gift because it's sort of given me uh, a lot of ammo to to want to do my second book and launch it when there's not a pandemic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so because of that, I was going to ask, um, obviously, then you weren't able to do signings live with people. So what's been your biggest marketing tool? Was it being on those shows then? Or is it your social media? I think it's a lot of things. So I think, you know, being on the Today Show is showing your cover and talking about your book on the Today Show Mm -hmm. is wildly helpful. Um, Being on live with Kelly and Ryan and showing your book is wildly helpful. I think podcasts are wildly helpful. People love to sit down. When, when you get to be so intimate with someone and really have a conversation, um, I think there's a lot of connection and then people want more. They want your book. I'm very active on social media. And so my social following has been incredible supporters. I've done a lot of um, corporate talks. So I talked to CBS Viacom and I talked to Lily Pulitzer's team and I did you know, book talk for First Union Bank or First Fidelity Bank and Summit Health. Like, you know, I was able to do a lot of these corporate talks, which were really kind of fulfilling for me mm-hmm. because you get to talk to this mass audience and share your message. Um, you know, so a lot of that. And I have my own podcast. So, you know, we did a special episode of Off the Gram and we were on Dr. Oz and um, got to talk about it with him, too. And I also had COVID right before it launched. I so remember I, that on your social media. Yes. So I almost didn't get to record my audio book. Um, in this, I went ahead to going in the studio 10 days out of COVID, really kind of weak and feeling pretty awful. But I recorded my audio book, which I'm super proud of. Um, and that was a really special experience. And my audio book is doing really well. So that's fun. Um it was just, a, you know, it was a surreal experience because I think it's like, you know, kids dream. Like, I think as a kid, sometimes you dream of like getting married and walking down the aisle in the white dress. Mm-hmm. I dreamed 
of sitting in a bookstore and signing books. Like that was my dream. Um, and not getting to really sort of do that was, you know what, for sure disappointing. It was yeah. for sure disappointing. Um, it was a really weird, strange way to launch a book, right? I, I launched it mostly from Zooms in a little home office that was makeshift thanks to a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's so many gifts in that. You know, it's it's helped me. My life has changed dramatically, and I've rethought so many things by virtue of this pause, and I'm grateful for that. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like that is, I feel like when you think of writing a book, that's the image that comes to your head, right? Is being at a bookstore signing and connecting with people that are buying your book and going to be reading it. Um, so I could see that that's certainly disappointing. It's pretty wild. It's definitely wild. <laughs> so what are you most proud of? Like what's something that you're just so happy that you've been able to do? Was it, you know, you're talking about your dad's legacy and then creating your own, or was it, um, you know, powering through this and getting to write your own book? Like what's something that you're really proud of that you've done? I'm, I'm really proud of the mom that I am. I think that my toughest job is, is being a mom and balancing work and life and career and like really trying to find synergy between all the things I care about and I'm very proud of my ability to manage all of those things with with equal energy at different times. Yep, that's certainly so. I mean, I, that's the hardest job out there. Everyone says so. I can see that. I really believe that, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, it's kind of easy to be good at a job. Yeah, it's not. That, it's not that easy to be good at people. Mm-hmm. You know? And I I work very hard to be a good mom and a good wife and a good friend. And I think there's probably room for growth in all of those areas for me. Well, it's all about learning, right? And learning from our mistakes and moving forward. So I feel like you're doing a great job though. (laughs) Thank you. So now where do you get inspiration from or who inspires you, would you say, to to be a great mom or to to write your book or whatever it is? Like who who are some people that inspire you? I'm often inspired by strangers. Um, I, you know, they're called, I talk about it in my, in the love charge chapter of my book. Um, and their researchers call them weak ties and they're, they're people who are not necessarily your spouse or your mother-in-law or a cousin, you know, they're, they're people who kind of just, you encounter in the course of a day, but who have really have the power to spark, um, energy and excitement, you know, and it's those, those small unexpected interactions that often um, create the most, um, the, 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 are the most inspiring to me. I, I was in Athleta, you know, two weeks ago and I had a, a, just a, a, a conversation with someone I hadn't seen in a while, someone I don't know very well. And it absolutely inspired the concept for my next book. And it's oh. like, who would have thought that me popping into Athleta to get my daughter white shorts for tennis would absolutely trigger this need to write the second book. So I think that inspiration can come from the strangest places when we're open to other people and open to ideas and really participating in life Mm -hmm. in a very open and honest way. 
Definitely. And I, I've just met some friends even just who were strangers at if I was at a client's trunk show or something like that, who have turned out to be some of my best friends. So you never know who you're going to meet and how they're going to affect your life and what that relationship's going to be like, whether it's just the short term thing that's inspiration for something or, you know, this long lasting friendship then. So I, I love mm-hmm. that and being open to that. Exactly. Um, so since this is the preppy podcast, I always ask everyone, what does preppy mean to them? And I know you have a little bit of preppy style, like you wear your, your fun prints and colors. So tell me, what does preppy mean to you? I kind of consider myself preppy fabulous. Like I'm like quirky preppy. Like I love preppy colors. Like I think pink and green are the ultimate comp, like the ultimate combo, Mm -hmm. right? I like, um, and I definitely had probably 932 Lacoste polos when I wore the collars popped, for sure. Um, I think preppy style to me just means like owning whatever it is that your personal sense of style, um, like just boldly wearing what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's a great answer. I love how you said that. Preppy fabulous. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm like, I don't like anything too buttoned up or yeah. too, like, I don't want to wear anything what that anybody else has. I like things to be uniquely me. So I'm always going to put a preppy fabulous spin on something, but I absolutely gravitate toward so-called preppy colors and preppy styles. Like, I love taking like a classic preppy staple and turning it it's on, turning it on its ear. So it's like, you know, like leather pants with the polo shirt. Yes. Yep. That juxtaposition. I like that. (laughs) So now what's next for you? Like, is there anything you're working on or um, whether that's obviously, it sounds like you're coming up with some ideas for your next book. Like what, what are you working on? Any sneak peeks or what's next? You know, I'm busy with the magazine. We just finished the October issue. So I'm really excited about that. It's my favorite issue of the year. I love all things Halloween. Um, our podcast comes back. We've been on a little bit. We took a little summer break, but we come back in September with some really amazing guests. So we'll start recording that again. I am, um, working on the proposal for my second book, which I'm really, really, really passionate about right now. Um, I feel like the pandemic changed me quite a bit and I have a lot to say about it. So I'm very excited to start working on my second book. And I'm kind of excited for my kids to go back to school in September. <laughs> I need some routine. I, I, I miss the routine. Yes. I, oh, I'm a routine person myself. So I get that. So my final question is, where can people find you? Let everyone know your social media handles, your website, all of that so that they can go and buy your book, follow along with you and all of that good stuff. So my book is Your Fully Charged Life, and the big underline is it's a radically simple approach to having endless energy and filling every day with yay. And that is available wherever books are sold. Most people seem to buy it on Amazon. If you do buy it on Amazon, please do me a solid and write a review um, or give it um, a rating. That's like a report card for authors, and it's a super big deal. Um, I'm very active on social media at Megan B. Murphy. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-B Murphy, all the letters. Um, And my podcast is called Off the Gram, and you can listen to it wherever you consume your podcasts. 
Awesome. Well, thank and you so much, Megan. Oh, I should always talk about Women's Day too. Oh, and yeah. that's, that's available on newsstands and it's available for subscription as well. Great. Well, this was so fun. You know, we've communicated over email so many times that it was fun to like sit down and chat for, you know, 30 minutes. So thank you for that. Oh my gosh. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. Bye.